You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Back in, and believe it or not, final edition of the program for the month of April as we head towards the NFL draft, as we head towards the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, for the NHL, the NBA playoffs continuing, baseball in full swing, and we've got media news uh, in the booth, in season, off season, everywhere, every which direction that we're ready to talk about and dissect. Good to have you back on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the facilitator. I am merely the somewhat competent host, T.J. Reeves. He is the man that you're here to hear. Here to hear? Here to hear would be right. Uh, hear his takes on all things. Uh, you read him on sportsmediawatch.com, after all. The purveyor, the owner, the operator. He is John Lewis, back aboard, a.k.a. Paulson, back for another week. Uh, I am disappointed you've not finalized your mock draft. Why has this not been released as of yet? Hello. Uh, because I, I don't even know the last year I watched the NFL draft. <laughs> Honest you, and true. You do understand that uh, even though they are heavily attended, there may be more mock drafts than there are college football fans yeah. in attendance or NFL football fans in attendance. I lost track at 96,000 of them wow. that exist right now, mock drafts. Yeah, well, hey, that's something, uh, you know, that's up there with a 90-day fiancé is things that uh, I'm, I'm just not interested in. Um, I, I will tell you, uh, even in 2020, I didn't watch the NFL draft and it was the only thing on TV. Wow. That's so. right. Roger Goodell from the basement with the recliner yeah, exactly. and the snacks. Uh, true story as we begin here. And by the way, however you found the podcast, John's website, sportsmediawatch.com, social media link, uh, subscribe or follow on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts. I worked for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio official draft coverage on the radio. I worked that draft remotely right here where I sit and record this podcast with John, the view that you are seeing, John, the audience doesn't get to see this as we peek behind the curtain. The view that you're seeing is what my colleagues saw. Uh, I had a co-host. We had uh, another analyst uh, from the Buccaneers website, and the three of us 
worked that draft that was all remote with Roger Goodell at his home, remote everywhere. Remember, all the coaches were in their homes, sitting at the dining room table, very famous, you know, wherever, lounge chair. What was it? Very famously, Cliff Kingsbury was in that mansion in Arizona that looked like it was uh, something off of the Home and Garden Channel on the on the all time ma- uh, mansions. Bruce Arians was on his patio by the pool for the Buccaneers. By the way, Bill Belichick looked like he was at the dining room table. You're just jogging me on the 2020 draft. We got to peek inside the homes of some NFL coaches because that's where they were making the picks uh, that year in 2020. We're back to some normalcy now. We're back to uh, the draft being held in Las Vegas in this case uh, with fans in attendance. We're back to teams being able to have fans in attendance at their stadiums and draft parties. Full disclosure again, I'll work the Buccaneers official draft party on radio at Raymond James Stadium uh, for Thursday night. So we are back to some normalcy, I guess, is my point. Any follow-up on that, John, as the draft will obviously – it's a big deal. It'll It'll be a big deal on this podcast. It'll be a big deal with viewership later in the week. Yeah, well, you know, it occurs to me I actually must have watched last year's draft because I had opinions about it. So I must have watched some parts of it. Either that or you um, faked, dare I say, you faked your way through it, which I would be proud no, of. No, no. I, I, I must have seen part of it because I remember feeling like Greenberg was not great in the role. So I must have seen it. But it's one of those deals right. where it, it's one of those deals where it, it comes and goes and it's just like. It's like watching an episode of, you know, Sports Jeopardy at one in the morning. You don't wake up, you know, wake up the next day. I don't remember you saw it. Uh, yeah. You just jogged me that Mike Greenberg was the host on ESPN yeah. last year. And again, and they he have, will be again. They have sent, they've gotten rid of Trey Wingo and, and they did experiment uh, with Chris Fowler, I believe, hosting it some because of the familiarity with the college players, at least for part of it. Uh, but you jogged me on the, the most awkward of moments uh, for the draft. Uh, last year, where Mike Golick, his former 20-year radio partner and partner on the TV simulcast, came out to make the Philadelphia Eagles selection as the Eagles celebrity announcer of their pick. And Mike Greenberg went totally uh, mute on saying anything about Mike Golick, pro or con, didn't acknowledge him, didn't talk about him. And I'm at the other end going, you're a multi-millionaire TV broadcaster, and this guy was your guy forever. How do you not at least say, hey, here is my former radio partner, Mike Golick. Good to see him again. Make the pick. Yeah. I'm thinking how – honestly, the word that came to mind, how petty, how right. immature can you be to not even acknowledge him from that draft? Yeah, now I got the hot takes here on the draft, John, at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I, I actually didn't see that moment last year. Uh, you know, look, uh, Greenberg is an interesting character. Uh, we've talked before about, uh, you know, basically the host version of Stephen A, where he can do no wrong and he owns the network. And, you know, uh, he's getting these assignments where he's not he's not the best possible choice for the NBA. He's certainly not the best possible choice for the NFL. Uh, no reason why Laura Rutledge can't do that. Trey Wingo should have been, you know, they could have mm-hmm. kept Trey Wingo. Susie Calber makes obvious sense. I mean, even Sam Ponder, who, you know, honestly, I'm not big on Sam Ponder on NFL Countdown, to be completely honest. But, I mean, she hosts NFL Countdown. Maybe she could do the draft. And they go with Greenberg. You know, I don't know. ESPN, man, one of the great pleasures of cutting the cord has been that I have not had ESPN as part of my daily life. But with the playoffs going on, I've had to uh, reconnect that cord a bit. But Right. And, of course, 
They are the ones that um, obviously started this whole thing with the NFL draft basically about 40 years ago now in the early 1980s when they began to televise it in some form. Uh, in the as I always describe it, the smoke-filled ballroom in New York, where all the executives were in there with their Marlboros or whatever other brand for 12 to 14 hours, making every pick of 12 rounds in one day, starting at about 8 a.m. and going all the way until like 10 p.m. or midnight, however long it took to make the picks. They were there and they were they were the forerunners to broadcast this thing and turn it into the television event it's become, John. Well, can I switch gears really quickly? Because sure. I kind of feel like this is a good jumping off point because, you know, we all know the draft is going to get, you know, 12 million viewers on that first night. It's going to overpower the NBA playoffs. So it's three nights. The NFL is going to be taking over Christmas coming up, as we're going to talk about. The NFL is taking over Martin Luther King Day from the NBA. The NFL is probably going to force baseball off that Sunday night in the World Series. People aren't really talking about it. But if the World Series starts on a Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off day. No Sunday World Series game. So, you know, Mark Cuban said a long time ago, and of course he was kind of humbled, right? Because uh, it didn't work out this way, that the NFL, what was it? Uh, Big hogs get slaughtered. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have been gunning for the NFL, the Clay Travis's of the world, you know, had us wasting our time for two or three years trying to pretend the NFL was in trouble ratings wise, (laughs) you know, but I mean, Man, these guys are getting out of control, right? You know, they're, they're getting they're getting to where the Warriors were in the NBA, where it's like, okay, these guys need to be stopped, right? And I mean, it's like you're talking about the NBA, you're talking about the NFL now. You're talking about the NFL. Yeah, the NFL. Like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, the, the NFL is just getting out of control. It's taken over every single day. It's going to be taken over Black Friday coming up. I mean, from college football, which has been a college football day, and it's like, I mean, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, like a little humility, right? You're dominating everybody. You don't have to have every single thing. You don't have to have every holiday. But, you know, the NFL is out there. They're, they're like, uh, I don't know if I should go there, but they're like the Ron DeSantis of sports. They're, they're just, they're trying to do everything. They're trying to dominate everybody, man. They're just going crazy. I, I know you're being a little bit political. I am very much political. We keep this politically neutral on this podcast. Right. I live in the state of Florida. I will just retort briefly. Nobody has to wear a mask on an airplane or any other That's public true. transportation right now because Ron DeSantis pushed for it with the state of Florida before a federal judge. Now, that may get undone somewhere down the road, yeah. but right now for anybody and everybody that is rejoicing that you don't have to wear a mask, it is your choice Ron DeSantis deserves a little credit with his uh, office, his attorney general, for what they did just on that. Just thought I would share that with you. Um, We'll get back to the draft in just a second. But one of the things you're alluding to, and why don't we bring it up, is the NFL didn't make an official announcement, but an NFL official was on. And actually, it's a radio buddy of mine, one of my friends in the business, Sal Capaccio. Sal Sports, he is with the Buffalo Bills radio broadcast, WGR, the powerhouse radio station, John Lewis in the Buffalo market. Sal had this NFL uh, executive on as a guest who basically revealed to him intentionally or unintentionally. Yes, we're going to do a double header on Christmas day because Christmas day is Sunday and still have the primetime game. We're basically going to have three television windows on Christmas day, which they've not done before. All right. What's your take on that when that's traditionally a day that the NBA has kind of taken over? I have a couple of other opinions, but your opinion first here about the NFL. And by the way, full disclosure, again, I may be working Christmas Day with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in one of those games. Go ahead, John. 
Well, you know, they'd be smart to Tampa Bay hosting it on Christmas, a lot better than Green Bay hosting it that day. <laughs> uh, you know, the reality is that the NFL, I mean, less is more. You don't want to stretch yourself out. And when you are going for everything, when you are saying, we're just going to, you know, just take everybody out, right? We're going to use our power. We're going to use our strength to just take over. Sometimes that does backfire. Now, do I think it's going to backfire for the NFL? No, not really. Because the NFL is at a point now where getting through that weird stretch where the ratings were down and everyone was like, oh, my God, the I, people actually legitimately wrote that the NFL was dying. I think it was John Cass. I think John Cass wrote that. I mean, let me not, because it's such a stupid mm-hmm. argument that I wouldn't want to attribute it to anyone falsely. But I remember it being in the Chicago Tribune, and I, I'm pretty sure it was him, but maybe it wasn't him. And people were out there like legitimately thinking the NFL was going to die out. It's so like it, it was embarrassing at the time. And now with time has become anyone who was ever writing that the NFL was in trouble from a ratings perspective. I mean, looked like a fool at the time is definitely a fool now. And I feel like the league's dominance has reached a point where I don't know if they can do anything wrong that they've been emboldened. I guess that's really what I'm talking about. When you get to that level where, wait, I can do whatever I want and I'm not, there's not, it's going to work. The only They're thing emboldened. that I'm thinking, and I don't, I don't wish this, but scandal would maybe have something yeah, to do with it. True. Okay. Concussions. That was, that has been a big subject for a decade that the concussion scandal, what did the NFL know? What did the team yeah. doctors know? What did the, what did the league do about it? Uh, that that could have had damage, but they, they sealed that up basically with settling with former players and setting up a system on how to assist those with head, head injury, head trauma, long-term problems. Uh, but for right now, I mean, this is common sense. When when all of the top-rated shows on network TV yeah. are NFL live games, of course the networks want more of them. There's a bidding war to have more of them, especially spread out, different windows, prime time. That That's what's feeding this, obviously, right, and why we're seeing more of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, they uh, that, that that season last year, with the numbers that they got getting 40 million on Thanksgiving, getting 30 million nearly on Christmas. I mean, they'd be foolish not to expand. And, and, you know, as someone who does like for other leagues to get a little bit of oxygen, uh, it'd be nice if the NFL would be kind and do what they used to do. The NFL used to take the Sunday of the world series off from Sunday night football. Correct. Even in the NBC days, there'd just be a Sunday night during the season where NBC was airing, you know, deal or no deal instead. Well, and remember now, I'm a little older and and older fans, we're not old, we're just older, John. Older (laughs) fans will remember the NFL did not play on Sunday nights for the longest time uh, at all. Then they went to a half season schedule that would begin after the World Series, actually, basically a November, December or right around, right around when the World Series was ending in October, they would do a Sunday night eight-game schedule. Turner had the eight-game schedule one time. ESPN had it at one time. They then, they then eventually went to the 16-game schedule, and it may have been split Turner and ESPN, eight and eight for each before ESPN got it all on Sunday night. And now, of course, NBC has it on network TV. My point is the NFL didn't have a Sunday night game forever, even all the way through the 80s and, and – uh, only half the season into the late 80s when ESPN began doing it. Um, 
And that was in part because the the network TV lineup, you've talked about this before, was so massive on CBS that night with, here I go, murder, she wrote, mm. 60 minutes, murder, she wrote. And the CBS Sunday night movie, they, they weren't messing with that on CBS. They weren't yeah. messing with that on NBC with whatever yeah. they were showing that night. So it's just, I know it's hard to fathom, but Sunday night football was kind of a rarity for a while, I, for a well, long Sunday. time. Sunday night football was an afterthought, even even when they went to the full schedule. Uh, and so, you know, they would take that World Series because, look, for the longest time, ESPN had the rights. And, you know, there were a couple of years where they'd always the World Series used to start on a Saturday. So you could have two Sundays, potentially game two and game mm-hmm. seven. Sunday night football would take off the game, two, but they would schedule games for the game seven, just in case there wasn't a game seven. But you go back to 2001 and 2002 and they're going up against. Yankees, D-backs, game seven and 01, Giants, Angels in 02, 30 million viewers for baseball. You know, I mean, those, there's a reason why the NFL was a little bit skittish and the sure. decline in rate, look, the decline in ratings for baseball in the World Series, decline in ratings for the NBA. That's part of it. The NFL's ratings being up and the competition looking weaker, you know, they're the king of the jungle, right? I mean, you know, it's not a lot of lions that are going to sit around watching a limping gazelle and say, yeah, you know, I'll be kind. Right. So it's not a surprise. Uh, But again, they're expanding because it is the most and this is obvious. And we've talked about it a bunch on this sportsmediawatch.com podcast. It is massively rated compared to anything else that's on network TV, especially especially uh, non sports, non live sports. It's massively rated. And so that's part of the expansion. All right. So let's bring it back to the draft and the draft coverage. There are a couple of news items. The first one is, as we talked last week, Mel Kuyper will not be part of the live draft coverage in Las Vegas as the lead NFL draft analyst for ESPN for 30 plus years. That again, we well covered it last week is over his refusal to be vaccinated for the COVID-19 virus. Kirk Herbstreet made an announcement on Monday that he will not be part of the live draft coverage in Las Vegas. And this is due to what he revealed, uh, the discovery of a blood clot, which is serious when you hear that. Whenever you hear that, that is dangerous, life-threatening stuff, much less if you're traveling, John, on an airplane with pressurization, et cetera. So it's anticipated that Kirk will be part of the coverage in some form remotely, at least some of the time or a little bit of the time, but he will not be there. John, what's your reaction hearing that news from the lead analyst for ESPN and ABC's college football coverage, Kirk Herbstreit, he will not be part of the draft. Well, you know, one, uh, so the COVID era kind of created these contingency plans. We now know that we can just put a camera in Kirk's house. It's no big deal. We can do it from there. Um, You know, it's not ideal, but, you know, as you said, you don't want to mess around with the, you know, blood clots and being on a plane. And uh, I strongly doubt that Kirk would want to drive uh, to the draft and back. So, you know, I mean, I think it makes sense. It is what it is. These things happen, Um, you know, uh, and uh, I'm sure it won't have a dramatic impact on the coverage since other people will be there. And it's only the ABC simulcast anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, so the, the main draft coverage on ESPN, you also have the NFL network window, I mean, you have three different telecasts of the NFL mm-hmm. draft, three different productions. Absurd. Meanwhile, you know, some of these uh, live baseball games are being called remotely, you know, and it's just, I don't know, again, it's the NFL, king of the jungle. Three different versions of the draft. Correct. You can watch all kinds of different insight and analysis uh, from the different the different voices 
Uh, it, is, it is fascinating what this has become. Again, the television event that it's become. Again, say that again. Last year, this this combined audience was at least 10 million. You were saying, you, oh. I think you mentioned 12 million. Yeah, yeah, 12 million. It was the second most watched, obviously, after 20. Uh, now, that's lower, by the way, than the actual number, because remember, that was without the out of home. So 12.52, just based on the inaccurate numbers mm. that Nielsen put out last year. So maybe even 13 million, you know, uh, uh, and uh, that was just for the first night. The overall draft actually averaged 6.1 million combined across all the networks, uh, which was actually down from 2019. But, you know, 6.1 million viewers, I mean, for and a that, typical yeah. NBA playoff game, oh, yeah. depending on who it is, is getting a third of that, sometimes half of that, but basically a third yeah. of that. Right. A live game as opposed to yeah. picks as not even a yeah. game. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, once the fi- once you get through the finals, the NBA will probably end up averaging somewhere in the 4 million, 5 million range. Well, maybe not even 5 million, 4 million range for the whole postseason. I mean, that, you know, that's the power of the draft, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's interestingly enough, you know, uh, when the draft happened last year, the Kentucky Derby actually had a bigger audience a couple of days later. Really? So, you know, well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to overstate it. I mean, the draft is not, in the pre-COVID era, 12.5 million was really, really strong. But, you know, World Series games, NBA Finals games should do better. Obviously, that's changed the past couple of years. But even last year's World Series, you had 14 million for, you know, game six. I mean, granted, you're comparing the World Series to the NFL draft. That's a loss for baseball right there. But, you know, it's not outdrawing those big events. It's uncomfortably close, though, to those big events. Yeah, and again, you're talking about uh, a potential clinching world championship yeah. game if you're talking about a game six, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, for the Braves and the Houston Astros in that case. All right, another NFL uh, news item and nugget. Uh, it was revealed in the New York Post, Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, reporting that the N- the NFL's um, successful morning show on the NFL Network, Good Morning Football, will be losing its permanent original host in Kay Adams. She's one of the co-hosts, but really, if you watch that show, she is the host, essentially, of that show, along with Kyle Brandt and uh, and Peter Schrager. I, I must confess, I was a religious watcher of this show for the content, the jobs that I have, et cetera, much more so at the outset for the first two or three years, not unlike what you've described on this podcast and many others have talked about, once COVID-19 came around and adjusted everything else and adjusted TV, I became less of a viewer. I only watch it occasionally now. Nate Burleson was another prominent figure on that show. Nate promoted up, John, to the CBS uh, This Morning. I believe that's what they call it, CBS This Morning Morning Show. If I have the name incorrect, somebody correct me. I don't see that show, but uh, he, he got a massive deal to promote up to CBS This Morning and also the NFL Today and the coverage on Uh, CBS of the National Football League with their studio show, they've never permanently replaced Nate Burleson. It's been a rotation of different former players that have come in. And now Kay Adams is leaving apparently last day is either Thursday or Friday. I'm unclear on which. Andrew Marshawn says she is in the running to potentially uh, do a deal with Amazon Prime and be the full-time host of Thursday Night Football all season and do other things with Amazon Prime and the video that's on there. 
Don't know where she's going to end up. All right, John, what are your thoughts about this? Because that show has become a staple on the NFL Network's weekday coverage, and she is an original member and a key member of that show. So what are your thoughts here on, on all that? Well, you know, when you have a successful show, it's going to be hard to keep the talent there forever, especially when it's on NFL Network. And, you know, as big as the NFL is, NFL Network is not, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you can do, there are bigger platforms, right? Uh, now you don't want to do the Goran Dragic thing and say you have higher ambitions and then end up, you know, get swept in the first round. But certainly, you know, there are higher planes uh, than NFL Network in the morning. Um, uh, by the way, it's called CBS Mornings that uh, Burleson's on. It's the 14th different name of that show that uh, nobody's ever watched. Was it CBS this morning at one point? And that's in the recess of my brain. Yeah, Maybe CBS this morning. Charlie Rose. Remember that? I, I have to confess, I don't watch Good Morning America. I don't watch the Today Show. I don't watch the rest of them. So I don't I don't know, but I'll take your word for it. Keep going, sir. Well, I got to confess, I don't watch Good Morning Football. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I've seen maybe one or two episodes of it. It seems like it's a nice show. I, I get why people like it. But realistically, I'm more familiar with Kay Lenz and Kay Adams. Yeah, ever heard of Kay Lenz, the actress from like the 70s? I don't know about Kay Lenz. You got to educate me more. What was she in? What I know something um, she was in? She was in one movie that I watched that they did a riff tracks of. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you got to get I, back to me on the homework assignment. You didn't do good. You didn't do good enough. I mean, if yeah. I if I hit you with what were they in, you got to hit me with something. Then I'm. Uh, wait, let me let me see. I, I mean, I'm yeah, right now live on the Sports the, Media the Watch podcast to try to find it was out. A terrible movie where they went back in time to like uh, that's the dinosaur most of the, days. That's, mo that's most of the movies in the '60s and '70s to go back oh, in time yeah. in a time machine. They all did that, including Star Trek and wh whatever uh, else that was on in that time frame. <laughs> I mean, so I, I'll be honest, I'm not overly familiar. I, they, she seems good. They all seem good, but you know, morning shows, you know, I don't know, sports morning shows. Uh, I don't have the time for that. Right. That would, that one is actually, it has been, it's very lively. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of creativity. And here's the other thing that would make it really relevant is they could get live guests out of the team facilities on the NFL networks, two way hookup, coach player you know after the big thursday night game here you're talking on friday morning to the winning coach or a winning player from that game you know monday morning after the sunday games they've got three or four coaches players different people on um it was just it was great news making blended in with the opinion yeah. and the talk with what the nfl had at their disposal and again, from a distance, she is a big key to that show. She's very good as the host, very quick-witted, very good at moving the show along. They've had some other hosts that are in that in that role, females and males that have that have hosted. They've had Peter Schrager and Kyle Brandt kind of host themselves on occasions as well. It'll be very interesting moving forward as to what they do. I think it's 99% they'll replace her with a female talent of some kind because it's a different voice from the other male voices that are there, whether that's uh, Rachel Bonetta, who's filled in some. Uh, Colleen Wolf is, has done the weekend version of that show. Colleen is uh, a former Philadelphia broadcaster, but has done the NFL Network a bunch. Maybe it's her. I'll just be very curious as to what they do. And again, I confess with you, John, I don't watch it every day anymore. Good morning football, but mm -hmm. there is an audience for this with the power of the NFL, especially in season. There is an audience for this because oh, yeah. there's a lot of information and a lot of player and coach live interviews that you get out of that show.
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's uh, there's an audience for all this stuff, and there's valuable real estate. I'm quite sure there's uh, it'll be a, a a good opportunity for whoever gets the next role. Um, you know, but uh, again, for me, the last sports morning show I watched regularly was the Dan Patrick show, and then they made that impossible to find. So I haven't seen that in years either. Very true. It has it has basically gone away off of video. It's still there uh, in terms of audio, but tough to find is right. What else? But I was going to say, I liked the Dan Patrick show so much that if I, you know, I've seen the Maggie and Perloff show, not often, like maybe twice because, of, you know, McLovin, right, is, is Perloff. Right. Uh, and it's hard to find that show on TV. That's on CBS Sports Network. So if, if you if you're I, I might be uh, I'm not a Nielsen home, but if I was, I'd be the one Nielsen home that is actually watching that on CBSSN. So that's how much I like the Dan, uh, the Dan Patrick show. I'll actually, if I see McLovin, I will pause my TV for at least a few minutes. To- so I'll tell you a quick personal aside. You love these stories, personal and professional aside here, uh, that I grew up in the 80s, obviously watching Dan Patrick on SportsCenter with Chris Berman, with Bob Lee. I mean, these were the rock stars of the highlights every night. Again, folks, very tough for the under 35 crowd, probably much less the under 30 crowd. There was no internet in the 80s, and you couldn't see on social media all the highlights of the game. So if you wanted your highlights, you were watching SportsCenter. So Dan Patrick and Bob Lee in particular were before Dan Patrick and, and Keith Olbermann. That you, I mean, that, that was the generation of watching the highlights with those guys calling the highlights for you and telling you what happened in every baseball game, every basketball game. All right, fast forward. I, a previous radio life, I was the morning guy on Sirius XM Radio nationally. Um, while everything was, uh, the merger was happening, et cetera. This is 2008. This is the year that my twin girls, Riley and Abby were born. And the Dan Patrick show on the channel that I was on was following the morning show that I was doing on Sirius XM. So there became opportunities where we could talk to Dan and kind of tease his show coming up, get his thoughts for the day or whatever. I had not met Dan Patrick before. He didn't know TJ Reeves before. And I don't know who briefed him on this, but this is like the week after I had had my twins before we're ready to do the interview. It's a really cool thing. Dan Patrick said, TJ, how are your twin girls? And I went, how does Dan Patrick know I have twins? I hadn't even been on the air to talk. I had been talking about a little bit on the show that my wife is pregnant with twins or whatever, but he knew and he asked me about it and we talked about my twins and then we hit the record button and we, and we did it. So I obviously now 14 years later, my twins are teenagers, John, I'm becoming old. I remember that moment with Dan Patrick from the Dan Patrick show. And that's how long the Dan Patrick show has been rolling, by yeah. the way, some 14 or 15 years still mm-hmm. going good for him. Good for him on continuing to churn it out. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, he was in the running for the prices, right? Wasn't he? <laughs> he was. They and were talking about it on college jeopardy, right? Or college. Uh, he sports did, Je- what was well, it he did sports jeopardy, sports jeopardy. jeopardy. They actually did do right. it. Uh, and, you know, honestly, they should have gone with Dan Patrick uh, over uh, Blossom, you know, but uh, look, the reality- jeopardy. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. I mean, am I just kidding? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm kidding or not. I, I, I actually like Mayim, but I think Dan Patrick should have at least gotten a, you know, a tryout. I mean, he hosted Jeopardy. It was Schwartz like, Jeopardy. Uh, but... I, I love Dan with all the, the highlights and the quick wit and all the stuff. And good for him that he built the empire after leaving. He was like the trailblazer on. You can leave ESPN and you can yes, still you can. be an empire if you're a personality. I think they it's thought that, uh, I think they thought they'd never hear from him again. Right. You know, because it's one of those 
Fields, they are, they've got a, a bunch of Jerry Krauses over there in Bristol. And they all think that it's the executives that are the reason why ESPN is what it is and that the talent has nothing to do with it. And Dan, I think, was kind of the beginning of, oh, yeah, well. And, you know, look, the reality is that mindset I don't think has changed at all in Bristol. I mean, we all think that nothing could ever happen with Stephen A and he could never lose his job. Mike Greenberg. And I mean, if they 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 unpersoned Rachel Nichols, they sent her out into right. the forbidden zone. So if they could do that, they could do it to Stephen A. They could do it to Greenberg. They could do hey, it. To can I back Scott up? Can I back up? When they walked Chris Berman out of the building, mm-hmm. yeah. ESPN was built on Chris Berman and Dick Vitale. No exaggeration. Those were the two biggest drawing cards in the 1980s and the early to mid 80s that that built ESPN before the live games. Remember, ESPN did not not start having live NFL live major league baseball much less the nba or anything else really till the late 80s so the early days of espn was built around sports center and chris berman's personality and dick vitale and college basketball more so than any college football that they really had they had college basketball first dick vitale still 82 years young good for dickie v that he is now checking back cancer free hopefully he'll be back on the espn airwaves at some point at 82 years of age but back about what's it been, John, seven, eight years ago, ESPN decided we don't need Chris Berman anymore. And Chris Berman doesn't get to write his own exit on when he wants to leave. We're going to not renew his contract and walk him out the door. And when well, that happened, that should have been eye opening for anybody yeah. there forever that they'll do it to him. They'll do it to you in a heartbeat. Well, I mean, he is still technically there on those. They, uh, that, you they know, he brought him back since then. But the deletion was you're not doing Monday night football anymore. You're not doing baseball games on TV anymore. You're not doing any of the stuff that he was still doing. Yeah. You're done. And that was eye opening. Yeah. To me. How about how about that 61% pay cut to Kenny Maine? <laughs> wow. Same kind of thing. I mean, goodness. Along, along the same it? lines. Along wow. the same lines. All right. So, uh, yes, very true, though, to go back to the point there about uh, you were talking about watching the Dan Patrick show or watching these morning TV shows. That's what Mike Greenberg, back to him, is trying to make a go of with the Get Up show, which I, I, I know for the longest time, the good morning football ratings were neck and neck with what ESPN has for mm-hmm. Get Up in the mornings. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. It's it's not very much on any of it, but um, we'll yeah. see there with the morning show TV. Uh, a couple of more. Uh, subjects here to get to we're gonna we're gonna play a little love it or leave it before we are done the nba playoffs do continue i know you've been writing about this the ratings were strong through the first weekend let me ask it this way at the time that we're taping the podcast the brooklyn nets are eliminated the boston celtics swept them out how much do you believe that hurts the eastern conference ratings to have the new york market once again go dark here, I mean, eventually you whittle down to where a lot of the markets are gone anyway. But early on yeah. in the playoffs here, somebody between Boston and New York, between Boston and Brooklyn was going to go out. So Brooklyn does go out. Right. How much do you think that hurts, John, if at all? But I'm going to preface this by saying I think Tim Donaghy is a self-serving felon. And that the things that he... <laughs> I didn't ask you about that. What prompted, what prompted that? that? Okay. Well, I'm going to explain. I'm not saying it's not true. Right, I'm just saying right. what prompted that. Right. I'm going to explain. So Scott Foster was officiating that game last night and there were, I mean, that's, it was a little suspicious. Net Celtics you're talking about. Yeah. A little suspicious. Some of those calls, because you know, 
the NBA did not want that series to end in four games, right? Uh, and so uh, I get the sense that maybe there was uh, no, not I'm not suggesting that the league wanted to extend the series and thus assigned Scott Foster, who then made some very questionable calls, right? I'm not suggesting that. But if you felt like that was what was happening, I would understand because uh, it was obviously a highly rated series. Game three on Saturday night, 4.62 million viewers, which I believe is the most watched first round playoff game on ESPN in quite some time. Okay, I was going to say it was, it was on ESPN, not on ABC. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, you know, and um, I mean, obviously getting a fifth and a sixth game, you know, one of the reasons why that game was on ESPN Saturday night instead of ABC at 3.30 on Sunday, which would have made a lot more sense. I, my, I, I don't know if this is true, but to my knowledge, ABC has never aired three games from a single first round series before. So I'm thinking that there must be some kind of contractual rule where they only get two games max from a first round series or something like that. I, I would uh, just with what you just laid out, I would bet it's black and white in the agreement. It's this number per series for each network maximum. Otherwise, right. what would prevent ESPN Disney from saying we want every game of that Laker Golden State series right. to be on a ABC. We're going to put every one of them on ABC. Right. So, I mean, my thought is that they all thought this was going seven because game seven would have been Sunday. Mm -hmm. Right. So ABC could have carried that game seven. And maybe the thought was, well, we know the Warriors are not going to have trouble with Denver. So let's get games one and four of that. But let's hold off and get the game seven of net Celtics, because can you imagine the ratings for that? So I, my, all of which is to say, nobody thought it was going to be, a, you know, four games sweep. Nobody. Right. Uh, you know, there isn't anyone in the city of Boston. They can say all they want now. Nobody in the city of Boston thought that was going to be a four game sweep. Uh, and, and so. I don't know. Maybe some of those foul calls down to stretch on Jason Tatum. <laughs> I, I can understand why people might might have a certain thought. As far as the rest of the playoffs for the NBA, you know, if you can get Sixers Celtics in there, that'll be a nice Eastern Conference Finals from a Ravens perspective. Mm -hmm. But the Sixers, they're going to have to try and get past Toronto first, going from up 3-0 to up 3-2. Uh, the worst case scenario for that conference final in the East is Milwaukee-Miami. People didn't of want course. that in the bubble. They didn't want that in the first round last year, and they're not going to want it in the conference finals this year. The fact of the matter is Giannis, for everything he's accomplished, is still just not a draw in the same way that a star at his level should be. Uh, the Bucks blow out of the Bulls on Friday at 1.93 million viewers, least watched playoff game ever on broadcast TV. Now, that comes with obvious caveats, right? It was, you know, uh, not exclusive. So that means ABC coexisted in Chicago and Milwaukee with the local RSN telecasts. It was also a blowout, and there were also two higher-rated games airing at the same windows on ESPN. But I think that's worth noting. You know, Giannis, he's not that big of a draw. Uh, so do you, if you think went, it hurts him because it's he's in Milwaukee? Or do you believe that – I mean, it has to hurt some. Or do you believe that even if he was in Boston or if he was with the Lakers – that it's still, I mean, the Lakers maybe is a bad example. If he was with the Clippers, that he would not be as big a draw even in the bigger market? Well, you know, we, you know, let's just be completely honest here. Uh, and this is across the board. It's for Giannis. It's for Shohei Otani. It's for Roger Federer. But people who are not American born 
are not as big of a draw in this country. If Roger Federer has what? How many does he have? 20? 20 something, right. Grand Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick has one. And remember how big of a star. Andy I would have Roddick lost was. a bet. He has one only. Yeah. One. One and only one. Yeah. One is the loneliest number. That's incredible. <laughs> but I understand your point. You would if think Andy Roddick, I'm, a, I'm now proving your point. You would think yeah. Andy Roddick from the coverage has six, five yeah. or six. No, he has one, right? And uh, if Roger Federer was an American, holy smokes, how right. big a star he'd be. And that's just the way that it is. You know, American-born stars are a bigger deal. You know, when we talk about like, I mean, it's, there's just no way around it. So Giannis, as big of a star as he is, as big of a story as he is, he's not an American. And so that is a factor uh, also playing in Milwaukee. Uh, and, you know, people don't want to kind of admit that because it sounds like jingoistic or maybe xenophobic or whatever. But I mean, it's just across the board and it's no matter what country you're from. It's again, Giannis, Federer, I mean, tennis alone, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. Mm-hmm. If any one of those guys was American, they, they would be, be beyond the, oh, I know who these guys are they'd be ubiquitous, right? You know how you're just turning on the TV, you're not watching sports, but you see Serena Williams in an ad? That would be where Federer and all and Djokovic are. They're not there, right? And so with Giannis, uh, the combination of, of, of that factor and playing in a very small market in Milwaukee, there you go. Yeah, and you make a great point because we've, we've talked about this on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast as you hear John uh, Lewis giving his, uh, his comments, and I think they're right on here. That there are other athletes that worldwide are known everywhere. If you say the name Lewis Hamilton yep. and you show yep. the you show the likeness of Lewis Hamilton, he is known everywhere around the globe to sports fans, but this country, exactly. but the United States. Exactly. I, I I I speak to that, but maybe not Mexico as much. I don't know about F one in Mexico. I'm speaking out of ignorance on that. But right. in 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 terms of Europe. In terms of South America, in terms of Australia, the Far East, they all know who Lewis Hamilton is. The yeah. same thing with Messi, Lionel Messi. I've learned, I've been ordered how to pronounce it correctly. It's not Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi is known everywhere globally. And it's a little, he's a little more prominent in the United States now yeah. over the last few years. But uh, I mean, iconic, hero, godlike, everywhere else but here. Exactly. So it's kind of funny that you're mentioning Federer is the same way in European tennis massive Nadal same thing massive massive popularity just doesn't resonate anymore and I submit can I go next level I submit because American tennis has taken such a hit especially on the men's side in the last 15 years there's not a generation aspiring to be great tennis players and so therefore there's not an American that's come along in the 2000s or in the 2010s that could rival not even Andy Roddick could rival these guys nobody gravitates because we don't have a player a male player in the game with them how much do you think that hurts it on their notoriety the international oh well that yeah that definitely hurts uh, certainly you know and it just continued the conversation i mean sampras and agassi were so much bigger in this country in the 90s particularly agassi Mm -hmm. were so much bigger in this country in the 90s than you know federer Djokovic, and it all are today Right. I mean, it's a testament to Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal that they have any profile at all, because I think most people know what they look like. Lewis Hamilton, honestly, and as big as F1's getting, 
I don't know that most people know what Lewis Hamilton looks like. If you were to show people a picture of Djokovic and a picture of Lewis Hamilton, most people would probably not know either, but I suspect more people might know Djokovic. So that's You're talking about in America because yeah, again, in America, everywhere in America. else, Lewis Hamilton yes. is a, is of a course. mega, mega star. He, he walks down the street and he is mobbed. Pick a city, pick a country, wherever. Uh, and I was just thinking when you said that the Borg McEnroe tennis rivalry did so much for the growth of the game in the United States, because Borg, again, I'm older, John Borg was seemingly unbeatable, especially at Wimbledon, uh, where he won all the time. Uh, and then once uh, Jimmy Connors cracked through like once and one, but once McEnroe cracked through and won a couple of times, it was like, that's what led to Pete Sampras, right. Andre Agassi, Jim Courier. Listen yeah. to me rattle off the oh, names yeah. like I'm a tennis head. Michael Chang, Todd all Martin. of those names came along in the 1990s yeah. because they had been watching John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors to a lesser extent battle Bjorn Borg at the top of tennis in male, in male tennis. Yeah, now you don't have it. You know, I mean, in the American factor, even just like, how about Brian Boitano, right? He's American, right? I mean, all those male figure skaters who were such big stars, and obviously the female figure skaters who were even bigger stars, and they were all, I mean, who are the American stars in these sports? I mean, Nathan Chen is great, but boy, I got to tell you, I, I, I've never... <laughs> You know, I've not your joke. Your joke earlier on the podcast, I'll refresh for everybody, was some of these people could walk into your living room, the mm -hmm. U.S. star figure skaters, and you wouldn't know that that's what yeah. they were. And that's a exactly. scary thing for the state of U.S. figure skating, because it used to be Goliath oh, yeah. popularity and numbers. Yeah, yeah. the ratings there. You, you could get a double digit rating for a non-Olympic event back and not just because of Nancy and Tanya. Yeah. And just to wrap back up to circle back around to the NBA, uh, you know, so Milwaukee, Miami, to me, is the worst case. You don't want that. Milwaukee, Philly is fine, but I don't think Philly is going to advance very far. You know, I told my barber the other day that Philly was my pick to come out of the East, and I regret doing that. I, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it, it was like the night after Embiid hit that game winner. I wasn't thinking straight. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, I, I don't By know the way Embiid being crucified on social media because I was paying attention really? for taking the off balance shot at the end of regulation as a terrible shot with the game tied. How can he do that? How do you not take the ball to the hole? Blah, blah, blah. Makes the identical shot for the yeah. win. What a great player. What yeah. a great moment. How clutch is Joel Embiid? We love yeah. sports fans, don't we? You know, can I just quickly go off on a tangent about the NBA? You know, yes, I don't think the NBA is in a healthy place where every failure is caused to completely invalidate someone's accomplishments. And, you know, Charles Barkley, one of the greatest players of all time, people don't understand if they didn't see him play or even, you know, I didn't see him play in Philly. My, you know, my Charles Barkley, uh, Charles Barkley begins in my lifetime in, in Phoenix. Um, you know, and, so even I probably don't appreciate how good Charles was because he was better in Philly than he was in Phoenix. Charles is great. But that nonsense he said the other night about Kevin Durant being the bus rider rather than the bus driver, you know, Charles, that's, and Charles hates Skip Bayless. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's alone on that front. That's a Skip Bayless type statement. You know, that's needlessly, you know, diminishing what KD has accomplished. Now, look, if you want to make the argument that KD only drove the bus, you know, a couple of feet, right? You're probably right. The fact is that was a 73 win team that he joined, mm -hmm. but he also, I would look at it this way in golden state. You're talking right about in it. golden state. Look at the record 
for K, uh, Steph, Clay, and Draymond without Kevin Durant in the finals. That is a championship in 2015 against a Cavs team where Matthew Delavadova was the second best player. That is a blown 3-1 lead in the finals in 2016. And that is a finals loss to a great Toronto team in 2019. And look at their record with Kevin Durant. That is a, you know, one loss postseason in 2017. And that is a final sweep in 2018. Um, the reality is that Durant didn't have to drive the bus very far, but he was a finals MVP on a team that included, you know, Steph Curry and, you know, and yeah, Andre Iguodala was finals MVP too once. But I guess my main point is it was a ridiculous statement. And I think it comes from Charles really hating super teams. It was evident that Charles hates super teams from the moment LeBron joined Miami and Charles went on TV saying ridiculous nonsense, like LeBron was going to be Scottie Pippen now and LeBron couldn't be in the Jordan conversation. Like Charles, Charles gets into those hot takes. He does. Like he has a justifiably great reputation, but if you get him started on something that he personally doesn't like, he gets into that skip Bayless zone real easy. But and, we still, I, I love the, the opinions, even if they're full of crap. I love the opinions yeah. and I love it better than stock answers. And by the way, that that uh, hate, if you will, of super teams comes from my Larry Bird, my Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Boston Celtics beating the crap out of his Philadelphia 76ers yeah. with him and Mo Cheeks and whoever else he had running around in Philadelphia because they could never get by him. They could never yeah. get by the Celtics in those days yeah. that were you like know, a super team. Exactly. But, you know, what happens with this debate is it's one, it's very generational. You know, it I don't think people who advocate for the 90s stars understand how irritating it is to have all of your generational stars viewed as in, inadequate. And I'm talking not LeBron and KD. I'm going as far back as Kobe and Iverson and all these players who, yeah, look, Kobe and AI, they're not all time, you know, the greatest of the greatest, but like these guys had their accomplishments questioned and, you know, uh, always in comparison to those nineties players found to be less than. So then when you get guys like LeBron and, you know, Durant, who are two of the all time greatest and belong in that conversation, and you're still saying, Oh, they're not really that good. You know, it's it's obnoxious. And the other side of it is what happens is when you have the, uh, you know, the old heads, as they were uh, diminishing these young stars, you have the young generation folks coming back with the nonsense about how the old stars played plumbers and milkmen and diminishing great players like Charles and suggesting nonsensically that uh, the 1990s Rockets that Charles was on the past their prime, you know, you can smell the Ben Gay radi radiating from the TV, you know, that version of the Rockets was somehow a super team when it really wasn't. And ultimately you don't really have this in the other sports, you know, Wayne Gretzky is walking around saying, Hey man, you know, uh, 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 Sidney Crosby, he's a bus rider. You know, that, that doesn't happen in the other sports. It's only in the NBA where you have, the previous generation of greats taking pot shots at the current generation of greats, which returns those pot, uh, those pot shots in kind. And I think it's bad for the league. I think it contributes to this negativity that surrounds the league every year. And these players have to be able to fail without it being the end of the world. And if you hate super teams, then you'd better stop this nonsense of deciding that Kevin Durant's championships are invalidated by this year's failure, because that's how you get super teams. You get super teams and people feel like the only thing that matters is the rings. 
you know? And so in the nineties, the, those players felt the pressure to win a championship, but the difference is once they won it, that was it. They weren't being called into question anymore. And even right. if they didn't win it, they weren't viewed as failures. And Barkley suffered from that. That's why he went to the Rockets. He yeah. tried with the Phoenix Suns. He was traded to the Phoenix Suns. I think he signed as a free agent, if I'm not cor- if I'm not correct me if I'm wrong. I think he signed as a free agent with the Rockets, trying to join the super team. Carl I- Malone was the same thing, right. where he was chasing the ring that he didn't get in Utah, went to the Lakers, never got a ring yeah. with the Lakers. I mean, there, there are people in Salt Lake and in the state of Utah that will never haven't and will never forgive Carl Malone for joining them, yeah. for joining the Lakers after they battled the Lakers for 15 years of his career with Ian Stockton yeah. chasing the ring. That was the first super point. team. That one, Malone Stockton, excuse me, Malone Payton joining uh, Shaq and Kobe. That, to me, was the first super team. I don't think, you know, You're Barkley, talking about in the modern era. The first, the first artificial super team, because I think okay. the artificial part matters. Okay. Obviously, Rodman joining Pippen and Jordan you got creates it, a super team. But and you know, the fact is Rodman was widely viewed as a loose cannon and mm-hmm. was a loose cannon. He was doing ridiculous things. That Bulls team with Rodman in this media environment wouldn't have won because Rodman would have destroyed it. Imagine this kind of media scrutiny that these teams engage in uh, or, or face today. Jordan could barely deal with the scrutiny of his gambling in 1993. So if you take today's media and you have Dennis Rodman doing these insane things, kicking the cameraman, you know, uh, saying the things that he said about Mormons during the finals and going to Vegas during off days. I mean, I don't think that team could have survived. And we know how big the media was back then. It wasn't like people were, you know, uh, communicating through Morse code. But if you compare it to today, that level of scrutiny that the Nets just had, I don't. I mean, the Bulls probably would have still won because it's Jordan, but man, it would have been so much more miserable, so much more stressful. But anyway, uh, you know that I'll that correct that, you. I'll correct you just on one thing: the Bulls yeah. wouldn't have probably won with Jordan. They would have won with Jordan. He would have found well, a way because the one thing is Rodman came to play. Whatever yeah. you want to say about the other stuff, even on 90 minutes sleep or 16 minutes sleep and being in Vegas and half awake and maybe half intoxicated or whatever, when he would get back, when the lights came on and it came, I mean, he was good for a few points and 15 rebounds and some stellar defense and blocks. He was a tremendous player. They were, they were who they were. And he was a big part of that. He was ready That's to play true. Rodman. Good nostalgia on all of that. Okay, let's get to it. Time to do it. Let's go. Let's go. Love it or leave it. Along the lines of the NBA playoffs, I caught some of Gus Johnson. I did not ask you about this last week, and it's my fault, John Lewis, on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I caught some of Gus Johnson doing the NBA playoffs, and I am an unabashed fan. I enjoy him calling a game. Love it or leave it. Do you enjoy the high-octave Gus Johnson working NBA playoff games or any other games. Do you enjoy that? I enjoy Gus when he's not trying too hard. You know, many, many years ago, when I first started the site, I wrote a post and I was asking, you know, is Gus Johnson really that good? Because realistically, Gus's style is not my preference. But over the years, I've come to appreciate that he's a very good play-by-play voice and that his excitement when it's not over the top, like, I guess I'll put it this way. When your voice is cracking, that's too much as Sean McDonough will surely mm-hmm. agree with. 
right? When your voice is cracking, uh, you know, for me, let's go back to Stanford Cal, right? Incredible, incredible circumstance. The initial, the band is on the field is a great call. But where I always kind of, you know, is when he's screaming, the bears, the bears have won and he's losing his voice. And it's like that one, that gets to be a little bit too much to me. And I'll give you the name. The legendary Joe Starkey was the Cal Bears announcer and the San Francisco 49ers radio announcer for a long time. And Joe just absolutely lost his mind when they were dancing around in the end zone. I think in his defense, it probably sunk in um, after the band is out on the field. After about five seconds, it sunk in. My God, what did they just do on this fight? He just lost his mind. Fandom took over on that play. Yeah. I mean, you got to keep your head, I think. Uh, so when Gus is doing that, when he's, you know, losing it like that, I'm not, I just, I don't enjoy it, but I think on balance, he's a good announcer. Um, I think, you know, certainly he's missed on basketball. Um, and, uh, you know, how many black play-by-play voices are there really in major positions in this industry? So, you know, there's that aspect to it as well. Um, uh, I think Gus is the only black, uh, Gus and Mark Jones are the only black right. play-by-play voices. Well, at, least was, the, at least for the NBA, yeah. certainly there's some in college. Right. Uh, and and Gus obviously does the Big East games for Fox right. and Fox Sports One uh, for college basketball, as well as the college football that he does right. for Fox and Fox Sports One. But uh, I mean, I I enjoy it, and I yeah. know not everybody does, but I enjoy it. I was yeah. just curious if you did. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I show my students footage of Pat Summerall calling the Patriots Super Bowl title, they just <laughs> they can't believe it. Sometimes it's like, I don't get it. Why isn't he excited? You know, you want the Pat Summerall style is, is gone. Joe Buck was right. the last person still doing that. And Joe had his entire career altered by trying to mimic Pat Summerall. People still hate him for that. Uh, the things people hate Joe Buck for uh, not having people still think Joe Buck doesn't get excited on big calls, despite a decade of evidence to the contrary, because he didn't get excited on the helmet catch. Right. Because he didn't get excited when the Red Sox won the World Series, really. Uh, you know, and so that style is dead. But I just feel like reel it in a little bit in terms of Gus, you know, reel it in just a little bit. You know, and again, I think really the it's the voice cracking more than anything because Kevin Harlan goes wild all the time, mm-hmm. but Kevin Harlan's voice never cracks. And full I think volume, that, good yeah. point. Full volume on that. I, I think the that's, vocal exercises get the lozenge ready. Yeah, it's NBA playoffs, babe. All and right, I'll tell you, I, I know exactly when Sean McDonough lost that Monday Night Football job. Exactly when he lost it. It was the uh, the return in the Titan. I don't know if it's the Titans, Chiefs, whoever it was against the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs got a fumble and were returning it to the end zone. It was waved off, so it didn't even count, and his voice was cracking on that call. And if there was any question as to whether or not ESPN was going to go with somebody else in that role, in my view, that is when that decision got clinched. Voice cracking is the kiss of death, he believes on that. Yeah. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Quick segue back to football in the United States Football League. Two weeks in, I did catch some of the coverage and a little bit of it. Uh, So many people, can we just say again, for whatever audience we have here, whatever impact we have here, so many people don't get the fact they're not trying to have fans in the stands. People that I keep seeing on social media, oh, there's no one there. This league is going to fail. They don't care john it's all in birmingham alabama they're not marketing to the lower markets uh to the other markets they're not playing games in the other markets it's a tv product 
That's it. All right. So two weeks in, love it or leave it. Anything with the coverage, USFL, United States Football Spring League? Well, I got to disagree with you a little bit because I think it matters that no one's there because it is a TV product. And if it, it, send, it sends a signal, just like all those miserable years, that, that miserable stretch of reduced capacity. And when you go back and look, not at the bubble in the NBA, because they did a good job of hiding the empty seats. Mm-hmm. Go back and look at last year's playoffs in the NBA, those empty stadiums. Nobody's there. Nobody wants to remember that nonsense. Nobody wants to, you know, that's. Let me rephrase. The USFL does not care, and they are not going to live or die on whether anybody buys a ticket right now. Did I say it better? I think think they're not going to live and die based on whether anybody buys a ticket. But if you're going to put together a TV product, it has to look the part. And so if they were to do it with no stands at all and just have some kind of, you know, wall around a video board like the NBA did, that might be better. Because when you see those empty seats, it's a signal. Oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Nobody else's, right? And, you know, the fact is, it looks really rinky-dink the way that they're doing it right now. I, I did catch a moment. It looked, like, it looked like an Oakland A's game out there. So, you know, I mean, that's not what you want. And uh, look, the ratings for week two really weren't very good. I don't think the attendance is the big factor there, but I don't think it helps. Uh, and I, I can't see this. I mean, you know, the networks wanted to survive. Fox is super into it, but come on. But I in mean- the previous iterations, the XFL in 2020, the American, the Alliance American Football on CBS 2019, the ratings dipped in week two and went off the cliff in week three in those leagues as well. So this would yeah. not be a surprise. No. Their ratings are not very good week three and beyond because it's a it's a repeat of history. Anything else you want to say on that before we move along on the United States Football League? Well, they should be grateful they ban- managed to crack the million mark for one of those games this weekend. I uh, got uh, 1.1 uh, 1. 1 million for the Fox window Saturday at noon. That's the same as Sunday night baseball got on ESPN. But the fact is we know that those numbers are going to drop further. If they were to stabilize at 1.1 million, you know, they had 812,000 on NBC. If they were to stabilize in that range, that's survivable. But as you said, it's a decline in week two and then a real plummet in week three. And uh, you know, I mean, I just, once you get into the dead of summer, dead of summer to me is like, you know, NBA finals is over. That's the, the official start of summer is when the NBA uh, finals is done. Once you get to that point, I just don't know where the audience is going to be. And you know what else? You know what else? I don't know that this is true, but all the talk last year about how, oh, people are going to get out of their homes and go back to normal. Now, I wouldn't say that was premature, but the people, if, if there's going to be any kind of post-COVID rebound to normalcy, it's coming this summer. This summer is when people are going to go out and do things and go to, you know, on vacations that they weren't going on. So it might be an even bigger reduction in linear TV viewing that happens in the summer this year. Fair enough uh, on that. I'll just share one more aside. Again, we don't know. I'm in one of the markets. We, we are in the Tampa Bay market where the Tampa Bay Bandits uh, play. We don't know who the players are. So, for example, they played on Sunday in their USFL game. There was no allegiance to that from the Tampa Bay market. The Tampa Bay Rays were playing the Boston Red Sox. Obviously, it's an early season game, but that's a rivalry in baseball. The Tampa Bay Lightning uh, were playing a, a hockey game. They had, they had won Saturday night over Nashville at home. They were playing a Sunday night game, quick jaunt down to Miami to play the Panthers. There was no talk in this market anywhere about that USFL game. John, the games were not on the highlights on local TV news. 
for the USFL team, they're they are losing out by their own design yes. on the fact that in the in the markets like Houston, New Jersey, Detroit, Pittsburgh, they're not marketing in those markets at all, at all, with who the players are to get people to watch. So I think I would add that one know, more time. Neutral site makes sense from the standpoint of easier to control, but you've got to have some in-market presence, right? So, I mean, you got to have at least, like, do what the big three does. Go to multiple different stadiums per week, uh, you know, not per week, excuse me, per, per season, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I think the way that you're doing it is, I just don't think this is a serious attempt at a at a spring football league. Uh, and I, I like I said before, the opportunity, the window was open for the XFL. That's over. Because next year's XFL, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, do we even know what the next year's XFL, have they even lined up TV partners? They, all they have is The Rock. Well, big whoop. You know, They've the, announced some coaches, but you're right. They're still trying to figure it all out. And there's a lot of people that believe if this flames out with the United States football football league, the XFL may never play a game. The XFL third incarnation may not play. Let's circle back to what we talked about at the start. The NFL is King Kong, right? The NFL is the big, you know, the big kahuna. And guess what? That also applies to other football leagues. And the USFL is battling and the XFL is battling. Can one of them become a developmental league for the NFL? That's the key to survival as well. If you can become a developmental league where the players that are playing here also are the reserve players in the fall, but now they get a chance to play kind of like in the minor leagues in the offseason, that may be a key to survival if they can survive. And I don't know that they can get that deal with the NFL as a developmental league. I don't know. Why doesn't the NFL just launch its own developmental league in the spring with college prospects that couldn't, you know, like summer league in the NBA, right? right? I mean, there's no way NFL spring league would not succeed better, at least than these other leagues would. Uh, and, you know, the great thing about summer league is it's all the teams, but they're not playing in market. They're playing in Las Vegas, but because they are the Lakers and the Hornets and, you know, whatever, the fans of those teams are still invested. So you could have, instead of the USFL, in Birmingham with a bunch of teams no one cares about the lions and, you know, uh, uh, the Browns or whatever are all playing in this one centralized location for a few weeks in the spring. I mean, it one, as I say it, it sounds like it would be inevitable to happen. I mean, if the NBA has got summer league and the NBA has got its own developmental league, how does the NFL not have these things? But first blush reaction to that, I think just for me and from what, common sense would be if it meant anything to them they would have already been doing it they realize right now it doesn't mean anything to us we have what we have why bother we'll use college football as the developmental league in the fall to give us our our pipeline of players and the incoming talent well the other thing will change maybe it'll change which is what i think i think the nfl approached christmas day from that perspective too we've got thanksgiving our ratings are great we don't need christmas and then they realize wait we can get a big audience on christmas but at the same time but at the same time i think it's a it's just one more time a different situation this year because christmas is sunday which is their typical day i'll be curious if this sustains when christmas is on a friday when oh, Christmas is on a Wednesday, will we see three games? I don't think we will, but that's my educated speculation. On that. The, only, the only way that the NFL doesn't keep the three games on Christmas is if that first window, the CBS window, just isn't worth it. Like, it, because, you know, you're also irritating your players. Like, I mean, the players probably don't want to play on Christmas. So, you know, the only way is if that first window is just kind of like, eh, we could have gotten a better number for that, you know, or, or it just wasn't worth it. 
but this is no way like it would have to do really poorly. So I think um, three games on Christmas is going to be the NBA is only going to get Christmas to itself on Wednesdays because I don't think the NFL is going to schedule a Wednesday game, but the NFL might, they might, you know, the NFL at this point, they are in this expansion mode. They're in that emboldened mode of, wait, I can do whatever I want. So, okay. That's where they are. Uh, And uh, so I think they're going to stick around on Christmas for a long time. They have been conquering. That's for sure. We've, we have talked it up a bunch. Did we leave anything else out or are you good for this final edition of April here with the NFL draft looming and the playoffs all cranking up? Are we good? Uh, well, I wanted to say that uh, the movie with Kay Lenz is a 1983 film called Prisoners of the Lost Universe. It is uh, a 1983 British fantasy science fiction action film starring uh, Kay Lenz as a female lead. And the male lead is Richard Hatch, okay. who was on uh, Battlestar Galactica, which I've yes. never seen. Name of it again? Prisoners of the Lost Universe. And Kay Lenz is only known for that? No, no, she's done other stuff. She was in, uh, she did win a Golden Globe uh, for Most Promising Newcomer in 1973 for the film Breezy. Uh, And uh, I'll take the word for it. Okay. Hasn't but then done you a come lot up with the recently. science fiction reference from before, and that's the payoff. Richard Hatch, I believe, was Apollo, was his character on uh, Battlestar Galactica. I, I was a big fan of that TV that. show. Well, that was the first generation of that TV show. It has since come, come on with another generation of that TV show. But if you were a kid, it was futuristic. It was okay. like Star Trek. It was like Star Wars, the movies. Battlestar Galactica was a big deal. Uh, Dirk Benedict was... Uh, uh, Starbuck in that and uh, Dirk Benedict later on the A team as well with Mr. Yeah. T and George Papar. George Papard, they uh, they were part of Battlestar Galactica. Man, we went down the rabbit hole yeah. on uh, on that movie with Kay Lenz. Anything else? In I, do have, I do have another television reference. Uh, so there is an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show where uh, Rob is doing a contest where he has to stay awake for a hundred straight hours. Okay. And by the end of this contest, he is so deranged that he can't stop crying and is just sobbing constantly. Are you about to make an analogy with the end of this podcast? Continue. Uh, no, I'm about to make an analogy with the end of the semester. Okay. Uh, and uh, I will say that is certainly a relatable experience as you get to the end of the college semester. So. How did how did he do, though, with staying awake? And did he win the contest in that episode? I'm pretty sure he won the contest. You know, Laura was pretty concerned about him, right? You right. Know, as one would expect. Uh, one question I've always had, Rob and Laura have this incredible marriage. They love each other a great deal. And yet, Nonetheless, comes. separate Here comes beds. separate we, beds. So we in this household were watching an episode of Dick Van Dyke, and one of the twins, this has been several years ago, said they don't sleep together. And I had to explain to them that this is the 1950s and 60s TV where it was completely taboo on TV yeah. to even show a married couple to mm-hmm. be sleeping in the same bed. They yeah. slept figuratively. Uh, for the show in different beds. So we actually had to explain that in the Reeves household, yeah. John Lewis, what you're it's describing. The mo- it's the most absurd thing because again, they have a great marriage. They have, they, they have a great rapport together and yet they go to bed and Rob is in one bed, Laura's in another. It's unbelievable. It's the taboo of the fifties and the things remember George Carlin made it famous with his album while you're going back to Kay Lynn's the seven things you can't say on television. Yeah. And that comes straight out of what the fifties and sixties wouldn't allow you to say. That Meanwhile, album became famous right. millions of copies. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, remember Lucy is uh, inciente, right? Is that, is that what it is? Uh, uh, you, you couldn't say pregnant. Yes. Right. Exactly. The same thing with little Ricky on yeah. that. You had to, you had to be careful on all that. I think we've done enough. Have we done enough damage on this show? I think we have. Anything else in closing other than goodbye? Uh, no, no. Let's let's let everybody off the hook and uh, finish this one out. NFL so. draft upcoming, playoffs, Stanley Cup hockey about to begin. Tampa Bay Lightning looking for the three-peat. The Lightning at the White House earlier in the yeah. week with President Biden. Uh, the think- Tampa Bay Lightning did not get to go to the White House when they won the 04 Stanley Cup because of the NHL owner's lockout. Yep. They won back-to-back titles, but this is the first time they could be at the White House. Will there be a little White House mojo for the Lightning? I don't know if it exists anymore. Can I, I say we'll that tradition needs to end? Because, like, I mean, in, enough of – I mean, because, look, let's be real. 2024 is going to be brutal and whoever wins is going to be loathed by huge. I, I saw country. something though, just before we came on the podcast, before we go that the Biden administration is going to welcome in Olympic athletes that won gold medals, the, the heroic or won medals of any kind, the Olympic athletes and the Paralympians are going to be welcomed to the white house in a ceremony coming up. So if you're a sports fan, if you're a sports yeah. team, your team gets to go for winning the championship. There's still some of that going on. Yeah, but it, it needs to end because, look, whoever wins in 24 is going to be extremely divisive, more than likely. And so you're going to have the same stuff we just had during the Trump years. It's going to happen again. So let's just let's just call it end that tradition let, put it in the same place that we put Obama doing his NCAA tournament picks. Right. Just put that away and let's never do it again. Oh, on that note, I think we're good. John Lewis, thank you. Thank you. We thank all of you for listening to the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. However you found us, follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We thank you for being with us on this edition. Keep reading the site, SportsMediaWatch.com. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Enjoy the NFL draft, the playoffs, and much more. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.